0: Hi, this is the next episode in the At the Coffee Table podcast. My name is Jason Klink. I'm your host. I'm here with Dan Wright of Chilton County 911 down in Alabama. Dan is also the current uh, Nina representative, Nina president for the state of Alabama. Uh, I was on Dan's podcast called Public Safety Technology four or six weeks ago. We started a conversation uh, pretty much ran the, the entire topic list of public safety and where it is and where it's going. Uh, Dan and I are kind of cut from the same cloth. We grew up in the fire service, migrated to a career in 911. Uh, we both tend to have the out of the box thinking that may make some people uncomfortable when it comes to uh, running public safety agencies in particular public safety technology. But I wanted to build on our conversation uh, that we had from a few weeks ago. And if you haven't had a chance to, to check out Dan's podcast, presents a lot of great information. So uh, hop on over to Public Safety Technology and check out that, that podcast. But Dan, I wanted to kind of build on what we were talking about. And you had, uh, or we had talked about how technology is changing, has come so far as Um, you know, the days of a ledger and maybe one computer monitor to multiple computer monitors and using AI and internet of things. Um, Have you seen any new things here recently or anything that's been built upon that that may have factor into public safety in the emergency communications world?
1: So, yeah, I mean, you know, we're, we're, as we move forward with a lot of things, uh, I can just speak to, you know, what we're doing at our center. Uh, But we had a severe storm event uh, recently and just as a use of the available technology we have. We have a texting platform for not to 911 that our citizens can use to, you know, when they're unable to call 911, they can text 911. And so we were able to leverage that technology recently during a severe storm event. We had a a widespread, uh, high wind, severe thunderstorm situation that downed multiple trees within our county or PSAP jurisdiction. And we were able to leverage that texting technology to communicate with the on-call county road department person. So instead of our personnel having to make a phone call or several phone calls to report one or multiple tree down locations to the road department, we were able to leverage that texting platform and able to communicate via a text stream. And it's probably, by by estimates, going back through the calls, we took over 100 weather-related event calls that day from the public, and we probably saved 30 to 40 calls to the road department person and was able to keep that all in one text stream and communicate with them by text.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. I know from the agency that I uh, come from that when, when it got into those storm situations and you're getting inundated with trees and wires down, and instead of making um, multiple phone calls to the power company, it was create a list and fax it over to them, which worked well, you know, as far as procedures go. But I I, I like the idea of just a continued uh, text uh, stream uh, to highway department, power you know power company if they'll accept it, but highway department and local municipalities. Uh, to get that information across a little quicker than, you know, maybe a fax or, you know, a regular phone or radio transmissions.
1: Right. And so, you know, I, I see that those type of communication streams will continue. Uh, you know, we, we have a, a constant Google chat with a, the, our region highway department uh, traffic management center. So we're constantly in communication with them, and they have our—they uh, have a live feed of our CAD incidents. Mm-hmm. So we're—we we're have real-time traffic information. Uh, they update their traffic incident maps, which then goes to Google Maps. Uh, so, you know, w- within our county, what we cover as far as state and U.S. highways, the we have a, a constant Google chat open. Uh, with all of our dispatchers and their dispatchers. And so, uh, you know, that's just another thing we're leveraging to save phone calls.
0: Yeah, and, and you know, it ultimately, it provides a better service and 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 cuts down on on time and increases productivity. Um, and, and it, it I, I think that any department head or anyone working within these public safety agencies, if you're not taking a look at the technology that's right at hand. I mean, you, you set up a, a Google chat with your highway department. You know, Google provides a, a lot of technology right at your fingertips, including mapping the, the chat and communications um, to be able to foster um, this type of time-saving effort. Uh, I know there's concerns with some agencies and, and internet security, firewalls and so on, but I think once that's in place in the forefront, it makes doing the job easier in the long run. Well, yeah, you know, I, there
1: are concerns, but I think what several people are so we use Google Apps for Business, or what's what used to be called, mm-hmm. for our entire agency. So, uh, mm-hmm. so you know, what, uh, we use Google Apps for Business for our entire agency. So we have the full Google suite. We use our own domain. We're using, you know, all, all the Google products we get. And so what a lot of people miss is that a lot of the government uses Google as well. So the, the, the security there, and I don't have to maintain that security. Right. I don't have to worry about my email server being hacked. Right. I don't have to worry about, you know, all those things that we see that are now real. And, you know, we all need to realize in, in public safety that it's not a matter of if your system will be hacked, it's a matter of when it'll be hacked. You just have to be prepared for it you know yeah. back up back up your systems back up your databases mm-hmm. and then then when it does happen and they want this ransom to unlock your stuff just tell them to go kick rocks and you know rebuild your servers and rebuild your databases and move on with life
0: yeah you know it takes one one bad email thread to to <laughs> to mess up an entire system but like you said if you know you you have these things already there you know um it and you backing up what you're, what you're using, uh, you know, the, the days of being concerned of information outflowing to the public that may be sensitive in nature. I mean, when, when you, when your CAD system, your CAD calls are online and, and people can read into call notes, um, there's not, there's not a lot of secrecy to that anymore. Um, and, and it, all it takes is a Google search to find out incident information.
1: Yeah. I mean, I have a, probably an an unorthodox view on what the public should have access to. And aside from sensitive uh, personal information and sensitive active investigation, law enforcement information, I mean, you know, if we're dispatching a house fire to a particular address, I mean, you know, there's not a lot of secrecy in that. I mean, the 10 neighbors or the 15 neighbors are already before the fire department gets there are already posting on social media. It's just the world we live in. Yep. And public safety, I I say it time and time again, public safety and government are going to have to learn to live in that environment and just give the public the information that they want. You know, if it's not breaking any laws or any local laws or federal law, if it's not breaking the law, just give it to them. There's no harm in it. And if we don't give it to them, they're going to make their own story up. Uh, they're not trained journalists. They don't know how to verify
0: facts. There's going to be a story that develops out of an incident on their street. Uh, no doubt. And I was just talking about this yesterday, especially in the, in the world of the police, that, you know, every video that's ever taken of a traffic stop or an involved crime and, and the police are, are trying to do their job. and five people have their phones out recording and it becomes very subjective to however they're narrating what's going on when they they may or may not be privy to the conversation that the police officer or officers are having with the individual that they're attempting to detain right,
1: um, right. yes so, I, I, they're, they're, you know as as the old saying goes there's three sides to every story and you know if, yep. if we don't put our side out then the other side's going to put theirs out and you know, I, I think as far as public relations and building public trust that we have to do our part to give as much information as we legally can. And then when we can't give information, we need to be upfront and open about that. Look, yep. we would love, we you know, we, we will release this information when the day comes. We just can't do it right now.
0: Right. Right. And, and you know, it's just it's educating our folks, it's educating the public, and it's it's that free stream of information, like you said. So I wanted to, uh, the other thing I wanted to touch on today, kind of shifting gears um, and shifting to a, a different topic, but one other thing I wanted to talk about, because I was reading yesterday, I was going through a white paper on um, shift schedules and shift patterns, and the, the um, pros and cons of, of a shorter sh- uh, shift pattern or shift schedules that are like eight-hour shifts versus longer shift patterns that may be 12, 10 or 12-hour shifts. Um, it's, it's some of the conversation I've been, I've been engaged in, in recently, um, but I don't think we touched on it before, or maybe we did, um, and how, you know, the pros and cons of having our staffs, no matter what public safety agency it is, working in eight hours shift schedule and and what they may or may not be exposed to and for how long versus longer shift patterns and shift schedules that are 10 and 12 hours and how that that plays into the longevity of our employees
1: yeah so uh i've got some uh thoughts on this but it's probably not going to be agreeing with the uh, white paper that you read. Oh, okay. So, uh I think this is going to be largely determined on the call volume of the piece Uh so for my employees, they value their time off. And there's a lot of ingredients that go into this uh scenario. So number one, if you don't have adequate staffing, then it doesn't matter what shift system you use, you're going to be overworking your employees. Mm -hmm. It don't matter if it's four hours, eight hours, 12 hours, 16 hours, because the seats have to be filled. That's just the bottom line. Yep. So inadequate staffing is the first part of the equation that you have to fill. And before you are adequately staffed, any argument or discussion about shift length is it's really a non non fact factor at that point. So we've actually had discussions with our employees. Uh, we've went to them and said, "Okay, what would eight hour shifts benefit you more? Would ten hour shifts benefit you more?" And jokingly, they all threatened to quit if we took away the twelve hour shifts, oh. uh, be, because they enjoy having their time off. Right. They work 14 days a month right now. They earn overtime in every paycheck, uh, eight hours of overtime, is standard in, in our salary. Uh, so they, they enjoy that shift. Now, granted, again, if we were busier, they may have a different attitude about it. Now, we're busy. don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll do 100,000 CAD calls a year. So we're, we're a busy agency for our size, but they enjoy their time off. So Mm -hmm. I think that's the most important thing that we have to keep in mind is how does it affect our employees? Now I know that every, and that's why I say that I don't think we can put a one size fits all on this. I think we need to get some data and put information out about your options. So with that, knowing how much my employees enjoy their time off, I don't know if or when I will be able to accomplish this, but I have publicly stated or to our, employees told them that one of my goals if given the opportunity and the things work out and i can get the funding for this is so right now they work 36 hours one week and 48 hours the other the other week of a two-week pay cycle Mm -hmm. so my goal is to my long-term goal is to put them on a 36-hour work week 12-hour shifts 36 hours a week with the same salary they make now, we would change the hourly rate so that they don't lose any money. Uh Uh, The goal behind this is to ensure that they get their time off because that's what they thrive on. They tell us we don't mind working the 12 hour shifts. We just want our time off. So Uh we're fully staffed. They get their time off. They actually beg for overtime because we don't have any available except, you know, when somebody takes off work or somebody calls us sick, uh, and so as far as you hear all these agencies of we have mandatory overtime, I have, my employees are begging for overtime because right. we just don't have it. We don't have it available. Right. Uh, so again, uh, just to back up my point and to kind of add some context to what I'm saying, I, it's going to be individual PSAP based to an extent, but right. I, I just think the entire foundation on that before we can even discuss. Work schedules for dispatchers is you've got to be adequately staffed.
0: Yeah, no, hundred percent. And I I actually was speaking with a nine one one center down in Florida uh, just last week that were thirty people down, and they were trying to hire for. I can't even imagine the overtime management there.
1: What's their total staffing?
0: Uh, You know, I didn't ask, and and I probably should have, but it sounded like they were having some serious difficulty because the amount of, I mean, 30, I, I guess, 30 people, either way you look at it, is, is a large, even if it was a 200 person PSAP, yeah. Yeah. Um, if it was a 60 person PSAP, they're in real, real big trouble. Um, yeah. and, and, and I get what you're saying. You know, the employees do, they do appreciate their time off. And I, you know, I came from a center that gave, gave the employees an option. You can be in an eight hour shift pattern. And some of those folks are like folks that had been working it for 20 years, eight hours. They did their eight hours. They went home. That's what they wanted. They worked their four-on-two-off schedule, and they, they were good with that. And then they brought in the 12-hour shift schedule, uh, which gave the employees the option to have every other weekend off. Um, and, and that worked out well for them because in their short weeks, technically, they could take, you know, whenever they wanted to take vacation and then have an, an entire week off home by using minimal amount of, of vacation time. Right. Um, where I find it interesting that you, you know, you're looking at the, you know, 36 hours a week and that was a big play. And a lot of the times where the center I came from, because the, the 12 hour shift schedule had to be reinvented a second time, because the first time we were working, you know, 44 hours one week and 36 hours the next, and the 44 hour work week, we weren't getting paid overtime uh, for that extra four hours. Um, it evened itself out in the end, but it, if weekly it, it was you know it became a violation
1: mm-hmm. so
0: they they you know they came up with a uh what they used to call wacky wednesday they would um do it there was a four-hour wednesday that you were obligated to work on the 12-hour shift pattern you know every week um which kind of it could interrupt your week unless you arranged it other ways uh, with trades or swaps but um i i, I think that you know to to have those longer shift schedules and 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 to afford the folks the the extra time off you know I like the idea of 36 hour work weeks because it does give them that that extra time off to recharge their batteries to reset their minds um uh you know based on you know call volume and and what they're exposed to day in and day out because realistically um you know 911 center employees public safety telecommunicators are are exposed to the the same events that police officers and firefighters are going to they just don't see it um but do you have to process it through your brain just the same um so we, we you know it's a delicate balance and i can see what you're saying yeah i mean there's definitely a balance I and mean, i i just want to be sure that
1: I, i've been very clear that i don't think there's a one size fits all solution yeah you know i i just we, we as public safety tend to not look at the big picture and especially the long-term effects of the decisions we make so many things we're doing short term to solve a current issue and the fact of the matter is is that the law if, if you want a successful piece out you have to think long term you have yeah. to think what what does this decision do five ten even 15 years down the road and I know that there's so many variables that could change and, and interrupt that plan. Mm-hmm. But considering that everything else stays the same, what does this decision do for my employees this far down the road? Because if you want to solve the staffing crisis that so many PSAPs run across, you've got to think about the viability of a long-term employee.
0: Yeah.
1: D- these yeah. two- and three-year employees and just accepting that, well, there's no career in one. There are careers in one. We just have to manage it the right way.
0: Yeah. And, and we had talked about this in your podcast was, you know, when, when, when potential employees are getting um, enticed by, um, you know, higher paying salary jobs out in the private sector. And they don't find the value in, say, you know, a state retirement system or, or the stable government job, public safety job. You know, how do we keep them there? How do we recruit them in? How do we keep them there? How do we avoid the whole stepping stone um, genre that might happen uh, maybe with some of younger employees there that are, that are looking to maybe get into a police or a fire department and they use 911 as a stepping stone? And, you know, how do we how do we build up the culture of the organization to uh, long term, not short term, long term? How do we you know, keep up the culture of the organization to fulfill the missions that we're assigned to?
1: Well, I think you have to build a safe environment
0: yeah uh, it's it's all you you
1: use the keyword culture there and you have to build a safe environment your employees have to know that you know they're not going to get fired because they sent the wrong fire department to a call based on the information they had or because they simply made a mistake i mean we're all humans yes yeah we have cad and we have this and that but i mean you input wrong one number the wrong way and you know it, you could essentially make a mistake and cause the wrong response. Now, you know, I know there are, again, a lot of variables in that, and we take every single incident of a mistake uh, on a one-by-one basis. We thoroughly investigate, and we consider all factors. There's no blanket. I mean, we have standards and we have fairness, Mm -hmm. but there's no blanket disciplinary action based on the course of, of an incident or a mistake that occurred. Uh, you know, we do our absolute best to to treat mistakes as training opportunities so that we get better. And, and we Absolutely. share it with everybody. We share it with the entire agency. It's not put in a silo and we just cross our fingers that it never happens again. Anytime that a mistake is made, it's shared across the entire agency. And that has, for us, has created a culture of safety and and being safe at work. Knowing that, okay, if I do make a mistake, then okay, the, the agency has my back, and I don't have to worry about just getting canned because I made one single mistake. Now, again, to say to, on the other side of that, if you absolutely fail to do your job, then we go down a different road. Right. You know, if you absolutely just do not follow the established procedures and protocols, you just absolutely fail to do your job. That's an entire different path. Yeah. But. I mean, you know, we don't hire people that's going to fail to do their job. Right. Uh, It it all starts in the hiring process. And, you know, we're not perfect by any means. I I don't mean to to say that we don't make mistakes. We do. We we make mistakes every day. But uh, we do our absolute best to mitigate all of those things before they occur.
0: And it starts with the hiring process. Yep, 100%, you know, and I, I like what you said that, that, that you know, you, you treat it as a, a training opportunity. And I think every call, every event is a learning opportunity. There's a difference in motivating your people by um, throwing down the hammer every time there's an error. And sure, you'll scare them into doing their job right. Absolutely. But that the, the culture of or the organization suffers because of it. To make everything a learning opportunity and, and in order to get everybody to buy into the mission and to raise the culture of the organization, uh, you know that that is a a managerial and administrative skill set that some are not readily able to, you know pick up and and accept. Um, I just I've never been a fan of let's just roll by the hammer and and scare you into doing your job, even though, you're human, you made a mistake. Okay, let's learn from it. All right, is it starting to become a pattern? All right, let's learn a little bit more. Like you said, if you completely fail to do your job, that's one thing. That's when the hammer should come down. But, you know, to keep the organization, the culture of the organization at the highest level it can be, people respond better to learning and and training than they do the hammer coming down.
1: Yeah, I mean, it has for us. It's, it's worked for us and you know, again, every organization is different. Yep, but yeah, but absolutely. As far as the the PSAT manager, the director, or the executive, whomever is ultimately in charge of that agency, you have to be able to figure out what your culture is, and then you have to apply the correct uh, tools to your agency and to make it work. Yep. And I, I mean, I firmly believe, and you know. It's probably not true in every, every case, but I firmly believe that part of the, well, probably the, the overwhelming majority reason that so many PSAPs are, unquote, unquote, understaffed is because they're mismanaged.
0: Yes. Yep. Yeah, No. 100%. Um, you know, it, <laughs> a lot of us to get in our jobs, we just have to have a good Saturday and pass the test. And a lot of us to get promoted, same, same situation. you got to have a good Saturday and pass, pass the test. But, you know, how are you, are you going to do right by your people to continue your own education to pick up on those, you know, managerial and supervisory type skill sets? Because the only way you're going to get them is to is to continue your learning and not just fall onto well, I got promoted because I got a, you know, a 97 or 100 on the test and I had a great interview. You know, it doesn't stop there. Um, and you, you may be a natural leader in your DNA but are you an appropriate supervisor with how you handle your people day in and day out?
1: Yeah. Leadership and being in charge are two different things. And, yep. uh, I mean, they, you, you can be a leader and not have any titles. I mean, you know, that's, that's a common yep. understanding, uh, of just the, just life. Uh, you, you can be a leader and have influence and you don't have to have a title for that position. And, and, on the same token you can have that title and position and not be a leader at all. So yeah, it's just, a, you know, it's, a, it's about being the executive officer and, and being aware of what
0: goes on in your agency. Yeah. Yeah. I think I just saw a, um, an article, a uh, fire service based article that it said something like, are you a true leader or are you just wearing the badge? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And
1: it's, you know, it's uh it's prevalent in all industries, yep. all across. We, oh, yeah. We're not talking about something that's strictly limited to nine one one. It's just that, you know, I, I'm sure this is a topic, whether it is a topic for me or a voice, or not a voice, an area of concern because we, I'm I'm frustrated with us selling to the public that we are understaffed or we are experiencing staffing crisis because of the stress of the job, and not to write off mental health, not to write off the stress of the job, but that's not the reason that you're experiencing a staffing crisis. Let's stop pretending that we have this thing that, number one, you're not going to take away from the position. It's not going away. The stress of the job, the the things that we hear, they're not going away. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, maybe it's just me, but I, I, I take this, this uh, idea of the staffing crisis exists because of the nature of the job. Okay, so how? Well, what are you doing to solve your staffing crisis? Because right. you can't take that away from the job. It's not an excuse. It's not a reason.
0: Right. I, I think that you know. Th- there's several pieces to that, that pie, you know, mental health may be part of it. I think a lot of it is organizational model. Are you using your, is your organizational model from, you know, 1986 or is it, you know, current day, I, you know, are you trying to run your organization like like it's been run for the last 40 years have you, or have you made pivots since then um, to a, to adapt to the current world environment? So, yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I think that there's several pieces to that pie and you know for department heads it's it's a delicate balance to be able to sort through and and address every piece of that pie
1: it is and i mean we've been through it ourselves i mean i you know i'm not i know i'm i'm very passionate about this uh very topic and i I don't mean to make it sound like it's just easy you know just change these few things and you'll accomplish what needs to be accomplished Uh, it's tough i mean you, you know you most of us in this nine one one world have somebody that we answer to, whether it's a county government, a city government, or an independent board, and you know we have to convince them as well. And right. sometimes the decisions and the situation you're faced with are out right of your control. I get it, yeah. I get it. But the stress of the job, the things that we hear, and the things that we will soon see, are
0: not the reason for your staffing crisis. No, no, yeah, that's. It, there's a whole whole gamut in organizational model, budgets, uh, the current world, the you know pay scales, you know benefits and retirements aside. Um, yeah, I, you know I agree with you. It's 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 uh, it's definitely multifaceted. We'll call it I guess. So. Well, we, we've once again, kind of, uh, ran across the, (laughs) ran across several topics with our conversation. Um, Dan, any final thoughts as, as we go ahead and and, in the, as far as the future of the business?
1: Uh, nothing new really. I mean, we just need to be prepared as, as 911 for any and everything that's coming. Uh, you know, while I, think I have a good pulse on the soon-to-be emerging technologies, uh, more data streams into the PSAP, uh, that being video, telematics, uh, video from the Mm collar, static videos, private videos, uh, video streams, uh, text messaging for those that don't already utilize it. Uh, You know, we just don't know what's out there yet. What what will be? What will be next? Uh, I have this theory. I guess this is something you haven't really talked about a lot. Mm -hmm. I have this theory or this idea that, uh, and I'm gonna say say these, and it may not be these particular companies, but let's just take uh, Alexa or Google Home, for instance, Uh, that there could be one day where they walk somebody through EMD. Uh, and but let's just play this out. Uh, Citizen goes down in a home, and the nature of that person, because they utilize Alexa for so much, that their immediate response is, Alexa, my, my husband passed out on the floor. He's not breathing. What do I do? I predict that Alexa will then begin giving EMD instructions to the effect of CPR instructions. Go through the whole EMD protocol. And simultaneously Alexa will call the local 911 PSAP or send data, however that goes out. There will be an initiation of 911. Through Alexa, and the 911 PSAP will receive it in the form of Alexa or whatever. I don't know how it actually looks yet, but yeah. whatever will say at this address, uh, this, the resident told me that her husband passed out and he's not breathing. We are providing CPR instructions. This is the address. I will now connect you to the caller. And then the not one operator can then help be a part of or take over the EMD through that intermediary being the voice activated device.
0: And you know what? I don't think that's as far off as some people are far-fetched as some people might think it is. I think that with the amount of data that Google and uh, Amazon are collecting, um, why not? you know have it go go into the public safety world because it's gone in every other world so yeah 100 I, percent I, I agree with you i think that we're not that far off from from those voice activated devices playing a role in public safety um not only by providing information but like you said performing initial emd and then contact the 911 center simultaneously
1: yeah, so I think long-term, you know, what does that do to your one- and two-person seat PSAPs?
0: Right. Uh, will they even exist anymore? Right. Yeah. You know, how far – and we talked about I mean, it, on, it on your podcast it, of how, how far out are, are those kind of things being from resourced out. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, in theory,
1: Alexa could contact the fire department. I yeah. mean, there, there, could, there could be a connection for the nearest unit availability. Uh, you know, it just gets wild, it gets crazy, and yep. there will there will be many that will fight that tooth and nail. But yep. you know, the
0: cab companies just fought Uber, and uh, they didn't work out too well for them. Yep, yeah, cab companies failed to Uber, and Blockbuster failed to Netflix. So uh, you know, it's that's just the way that the world is spinning and and headed towards. And yeah, that's uh, it. It'll be definitely interesting as we go over the next next decade of uh, how that all plays out. Well, I do know voice devices will be the thing
1: in the next decade. Now, we just yep. have to be aware, prepared and participate in how that affects 911. Yes. But voice devices will be the thing of the future. And I, I don't know how many people use Siri or use Alexa or use Google Home, uh-huh. but the, the progression of that technology in the past five years is mind-blowing about how much it has progressed
0: yeah yeah no, i, I agree 100 that that is just it's absolutely amazing of where it's coming where it's headed and and you know it'll be <laughs> it'll be a fun ride for those in public safety i'm sure definitely it'll be exciting it'll be challenging but it'll be exciting yeah absolutely well dan i i appreciate your time today you know we've we've Touched on a lot of different things, and and provided you have provided some great information. Um, so yeah, I appreciate your time. Again, if for those that that are listening to this podcast, make sure you check out uh, Public Safety Technology with Dan Wright. Give his uh, podcast a listen. Um, as always, we know we sit here at the virtual coffee table and discuss the world's issues. And you know, the purpose of this podcast is to you know touch on everything. You know, public safety is the, my bread and butter, where I came from, but It's not exactly where I'm going to stay focused on. There'll be a lot of other conversations uh, in the future. So, Dan, once again, thank you, and I appreciate your time.
1: Thank you, Jason. I appreciate the opportunity, man. Great discussion.
0: Absolutely.